Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, Happy 2021. Here's an episode that was actually recorded in the bad old days, 2020. Remember when everything was shit back in 2020, that terrible year we had? Well, now that we're in 2021 and everything is fine and good with the world, I thought I would share this episode with Something for Kate frontman Paul Dempsey. Now, if you don't know Something for Kate, they're an incredible Australian band. They have a brand new album. It's called The Modern Medieval. They've been doing a series of acoustic videos. Um, as well uh, in the lead up up to Christmas and New Year that I highly recommend you check out. But Paul Dempsey is just an incredibly interesting dude. So well read, so well thought, just great company and I couldn't have enjoyed this chat more. Uh, As we launch into 2021, we have some big plans for this particular show that you're listening to and one of them is something we've been toying with pretty much since the pandemic lockdown started but it's the idea of doing two episodes per week. And that idea, if you're new to the podcast or you normally skip through this bit, is that we will do a brand new original guest episode early in the week, Sunday for Patreon subscribers, and free, and free on a Sunday, uh, Monday for everybody else in the usual places, and then later on in the week, a catch-up episode with the previous philosophy guests, checking in with them, seeing how their world has changed. And I think that's the right format for this show going forward but to do that to enable us to do that we need to get our patreon page to five thousand dollars in contributions per month now at the moment as we have been doing for the past few months we've been sitting somewhere between four thousand seven hundred dollars and we get up to about four thousand nine hundred and fifty nine hundred and sixty and then it gets the end of the month and the patreon subscriptions either renew or don't renew and we go back down to about four thousand seven hundred so i appreciate that for a start. That's incredible. And it gives us a great base to be able to pay podcast Mike to put these episodes together. James Fosdyke for all his original art and of course, everybody else involved in getting this show out regularly. However, if we can get to 5,000 and we can keep it at 5,000, we can do those two new episodes per week. So if you have the opportunity to chuck us a buck or two, go to the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash philosophy. Uh, sign up there for as little as one US dollar per month. And uh, we can get it up to 5,000 and put out two episodes a week in uh, 2021. But in the meantime, you don't need two episodes this week because you have this incredible brand new episode with Paul Dempsey. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? I am Paul Dempsey, um, lead singer of Something for Kate and uh, sometimes solo guy as well. <laughs> you are a sometimes solo guy as well, but at the moment back in the saddle is the lead singer of Something for Kate because you guys have just released a new album and I thought well let's talk about that because releasing an album in 2020 is a very different thing to releasing an album in previous times so what's it been like to release an album in this year of all years uh well mostly it's been waiting uh because the album was actually finished at the end of 2019 uh so we were all geared up for uh you know to release the album earlier in the year and we actually put out like uh, the first sort of single off the album uh, at the beginning of April, I think. So 
we started off the year with all our plans figured out and our whole year sorted and um and the first single kind of came out and then it was like oh hang on this isn't gonna work the way we thought it was gonna work at all so we had to kind of rejig everything uh we knew that it wasn't going to be a july release as originally planned so then it was just like okay well i guess we're just gonna wait until it seems like a better time and then as time went on that seemed to get further and further away so it was like well and and you know there were all kinds of logistical concerns as well like you know can we even get vinyl pressed and you know because everyone sort of was in the same boat um so yeah it was just this weird year of like well like every six or eight weeks or something, we were like, oh, let's put out another single. <laughs> we just, we just kind of, we just kept slowly sort of uh, drip feeding songs off the record, hoping that we would get to a reasonable point to actually release the album. And so what was that like? Because I am really fascinated by, because, you know, you guys hadn't put out an album for ages. Yeah. And so suddenly you do decide that you're going to do it. You're going to work on this project. Like you said, it's finished at the end of last year. It's not like you have to come up with a whole bunch of things that rhyme with COVID <laughs> to make an album that's of the times. You know, you have this thing in the can. But I imagine around that there was plans to play it live, go out on the road. That traditionally is normally how you promote these things and yep. you know get back to playing live. And then suddenly this thing that you have been working on is put on hold for not just a few weeks, but a substantial period of time. How were you with the idea of sitting on it and delaying it? Um, look, I mean, it was mildly frustrating because you've, you know, it, it has been eight years between albums for us and we have put, uh, the you know, a couple of years into just writing and making this record. So, you know, we were all pretty amped up to have it come out. Um, but then when it didn't happen, like I say, it was, it was mild frustration because really for me, the overwhelming feeling was like, I've been waiting for something like this to come along. <laughs> Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to sound, um, it's, it's really, really the wrong time to sound smug, <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I've, I've kind of gone through a lot of my adult life thinking it can't be this good for, you know, w- w- there's no way I'm just going to sail through life without experiencing some major generational, you know, event it, it it just didn't seem likely to me. And half the album is about that. And like I say, the album was finished last year, but it's called The Modern Medieval. It's it's about this sort of, um, uh, you know, the arc of history and the trajectory that things take. And the fact that it's just not always this steady upward curve. Um, and, you know, I, I like to... I read a lot. I read a lot of history and I read a lot of science stuff. I read a lot of um, speculation about the future and as well as what we understand about the past. And I don't know, with, with all those competing things in my head, I, I've just always thought it just can't be this easy. We, you know, the like if I get to the end of my life without having to go through something like what my grandparents experienced or... You know, it just seemed unlikely. Um, and then when this started to happen, I was like, okay, here it is. <laughs> it's no doubt it's been a good time for people who have a pessimistic attitude to life <laughs> to be able to finally say, 
I was right. I've been predicting at some stage this was all going to go tits up, and <laughs> I am absolutely right that it has gone tits up. Um, is, is it pessimism? Is it realism? Where did that fascination with the idea that it wasn't always going to be as good as it was come from? Um, uh, look, I think it's purely statistics. Um, I, I Like, I'm not a pessimist. I, I'm really actually, like, um, I'm optimistic to a fault. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I just think really it was just it was just the stats just didn't <laughs> it just seemed unlikely to me. Um, and also just because if you do I don't know pay attention uh, that's sorry that's the wrong way to put it. Um, like I said, I, I kind of I like to read uh, stuff about science and stuff about history and 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 you know I'm a news junkie as well and uh, sort of keep up with what's going on out there and. Um, it's not like this hadn't been predicted by the world's leading epidemiologists and and disease experts. Um, they they knew that there was going to be another SARS type event, uh, and that the next one could get out of control. And um, you know, and I, you know, I had watched a, a, a doco on Netflix just last year that is pretty much everything that has happened. You know, it it's like they're writing it from the future looking back it was that accurate that's because they planned the whole thing Paul don't you know that's it's right of course dates. yeah <laughs> yeah so so hang on QAnon are writing for Netflix <laughs> um, okay so as a man who studies science and studies history there's a part of what we're going through right now that we're trying to put in context and that's the most fascinating thing for me is that in Australia, you know, in our little part of the world, at least in a, you know, on the battle line of fighting the disease, at the moment, you know, there's some victories being declared. You know, we're on top of the virus in a whole bunch of states in Australia, although notice on the morning that we're recording this, there's been another outbreak in Sydney. But as a general rule in the country, doing a pretty good job of being on top of the disease. But the lasting ramifications of what we've been through are only just beginning do you have any sense of how what we've been through will change us going forward um the only the only sense i know is that like you know uh it'll probably be slow to to reveal itself and it'll be long and it'll be um i think that it's the, the mental health impacts and yeah i I mean, that for me is the only thing I feel certain of is just that people don't even know yet how it has and will continue to affect them. And um, so that's going to be a really long ongoing thing. And I worry that there's going to be, you know, that in two years and five years, there'll be like a, you know, are you still banging on about that or, you know, get over it or whatever. And obviously we, we just, we have to do better than that. Um, because, you know, it's it's impacting everything on all levels and, you know, not just the way people feel, the way people think, but, you know, it's a lot of people are going to have to change careers or I'm sure a lot of relationships have uh, been impacted in different ways. And, um, you know, and I, I hear stories and, you know, talking to friends and stuff. It's everyone, I think, has had that experience of like people you thought you knew uh, may have behaved in ways that surprised you through uh, through this, and 
So that's, you know, I think that'll continue to unfurl itself as well. <laughs> it has been an amazing revealer of character. What is it that you've learnt about yourself during this time? Oh, that I'm, that, you know, a significant proportion of me is like a, a narc. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really, um, I kind of surprised my, I don't know. Look, I, again, I guess it's just maybe that thing of um, being a, a fan of uh, scientists and what they do that I was really ready to listen to the people who know better than me. Um, and I'm always really ready to listen to people who know better than me um, because I don't think that I know better because of something I saw in a Facebook group or whatever it's so i think i i really um i you know i i probably like snapped into line and was like okay give us the information tell us what you know uh and tell us what the advice is and i'm there and um as a result as well i just you know it was i was surprised at my own um level of impatience that uh that i would feel when you know the person in front of me in the checkout would pull their mask down to ask the checkout person how their day was. Um, and you just kind of go, oh, it's, it seems so simple because uh, it is so simple. Um, and yeah, I, I've, I've been surprised and I don't know, perhaps even disappointed with myself in some <laughs> ways uh, that I, I, yeah, I'm like, you're not doing it right. <laughs> Um, so what about from a professional sense you know obviously you're a person who works in the music industry live entertainment has you know is emerging again you know out of the darkness but what effect do you think these times will have on on music on live entertainment um yeah that one is even harder to predict i think obviously performers musicians uh actors comedians you know anyone who takes the stage for any reason is going to be really eager to get back out there but i don't know if anyone's uh i haven't heard as much talk about the anxiety level amongst uh audiences uh and just because there might suddenly be gigs on i don't know that that necessarily means everyone's going to rush to be in a crowded room um, so I think that is going to take time as well just to see what happens. And um, But, you know, I, I think anyone, as I say, any performer is going to, you know, be very eager to get out there and perform. Um, I think mostly my through this time, the one thing I've thought about a lot is, you know, we're, we're a really in a really fortunate position because we've been a really around for a long time and we have a really... Uh, you know loyal existing fan base that's really kind of rusted on with us and um so we can kind of resume operations whenever and there's kind of people there that are keen and eager to come see us um but i, I really feel for all those bands who were just about to put out their first record or just about to do their first overseas tour and the momentum that they were just starting to build up is suddenly gone that's a way tougher uh, prospect than, than what we're facing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I see that a lot also in comedy. While I've been really, you know, disappointed not to be able to do what I wanted to do this year, 
who I really feel for are the people who were about to do that show that took them to being a household name or about to do that first Melbourne Comedy Festival show that would mean they got an agent and got better gigs. You know, the people on the way up who've suddenly yep. had to put that on hold. As you said, you know, there's something for Kate fans who've, look, we've waited eight years for the album. We can wait <laughs> eight and a half years for the album. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly it. Um <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to us that we can even put out an album after eight years and, and everyone's like still there. Oh, you're still here. Thanks. Um, you know, so yeah, again, if they have to wait a bit longer to see a gig, uh, that'll be all right. But um, yeah, for those people who were kind of, you know, the starting gun had just fired and, uh, you know, they just kind of have to stop now. And uh, yeah, it, it's like they really have to start all over again. And a lot of them probably just won't might not want to you know they might have just had to they're, they're you know again other impacts from this thing might have just changed their circumstances in the meantime that they're just not going to do it again um and we're all going to miss miss out on that so uh, uh, can you take me back to some of those moments in your early career what what were the sort of you know pivotal moments early on when you you know when you think back on you know starting out in the industry what were those touchstone moments that you remember um i think it was just about like getting out getting our first gig like getting a gig at all that was the absolute that was our everest <laughs> just like you know we were three three people uh who used to get together and rehearse in an abandoned meat locker on the mornington peninsula and try and write enough original material so that we could do a 45-minute set because once we had enough stuff, then we could start hassling the punters club in Fitzroy and seeing, because that, that was just our favourite venue, see if we could get a gig there. Uh, and that was really the, the, the height of our aspirations. Um, and then we got our first gig at the punters club and it, it just seemed like at that point everything was... Uh, icing on the cake and and uh and we played that first gig and and that very night the guy who was doing the the sound uh came up to us afterward and he played in a band as well and he offered us a gig with them the next week and then it just seemed to roll like it's like every gig we did led to another gig and then i think the next big uh the next big marker was when we actually got to go interstate and play a gig in sydney um and then after that, it was like getting a whole national tour and it just sort of kept going, you know, and, and uh, we just felt sort of swept up in it. And then, you know, we, we started getting offered record contracts. And at, at this point, I was 19 and every, and my expectations, you know, had obviously been well surpassed. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I started to allow myself to think that there might be a career in writing songs and playing music for people. Um, and, you know, that was 25 years ago and I still, uh, I don't know, I still have this, um, I don't know, I think possibly um, it's just gratitude i guess after 25 years i still just feel that it's so incredibly uh fortunate to, to be able to make a living doing something that i love and especially in australia because it's not a huge population 
it's not it's not a huge sort of uh, marketplace for want of a better word like there is in the US. Um, it's it's pretty amazing uh, to yeah uh, 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 yeah I'm very grateful for the position that that I'm in and that the three of us are in. Well, I asked I ask this question. It's the vague premise of the show, which is I ask people if they have a life philosophy of some kind. It can be in relation to anything, but do you have one? Um, no. The answer is no, I don't have a neat, uh, you know, a neat little sort of bullet point philosophy um, because I like to think that it's uh, continually evolving and, and that any on any given day something could change it massively and, and I shouldn't be afraid of that. Uh, that kind of sounds like a philosophy, doesn't it? Um, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll just take that out and we'll put that on the poster. It'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I, I really. I just feel very. Um, uh, again, it comes back to that thing of being a fan of uh, science and and also philosophy. Uh, I, I feel, and and it's kind of my job as well as a as someone who writes things. Um, it's. I feel like it's it's kind of my job to continue to ponder everything and the nature of reality i guess from a more hard science point of view it's like the nature of reality is something that really fascinates me you know from the from the scale of the cosmos right down to you know the behavior of subatomic particles and thinking about those extremes and then at the same time also being interested in history and and thinking about the that wide long scope of things as well and and you know the fact that you know the the universe is 13 and a half billion years old and and a human life is you know not even a hundred years it's just all of these things i just i i really do this stuff kind of rolls around my head on a daily basis um and it might be because uh of something that happens while you're sitting in traffic and a good way to not um you know, not, uh, what's the word, not lose your cool or, or whatever, is just to sort of remind yourself of some of these things um, or just look at a bird or something and go, not not look at a bird as in like wind down the window. <laughs> I mean, I mean like, you know, see, you know, just see a bird or a bug on your windshield and just think about the, you know, millions of years that evol- of evolution that led to the existence of that creature. And the fact that the general pointlessness and meaninglessness of your life is also the thing that makes it so important and meaningful okay so i love all this like this is <laughs> a great area for me because I, I want to start with the idea that you think it's your job so i also think it's my job and I, I i often think what a great privilege it is that i've decided my job is to learn as much as i possibly can about people and the world and the universe and that i have the luxury to do that that i don't have to go to some other job eight hours a day where i don't get to sit around and read these books by people who are much smarter than me and have these conversations with people who have greater intelligence and emotional intelligence than me and get to learn from them but i really have just decided that's my job (laughs) nobody came to me and said hey will what we really need is somebody to suck up all this other stuff and then just funnel it out in a easy to understand way i've decided i've self-appointed myself to that job yeah how did you decide that was your job uh, look again. I think it was 
I didn't always feel this way. And I think a part of it comes from a uh, something that is probably a very Australian attitude that um, you really need to justify your existence as an artist, um, as someone who makes a, you know, a living. I mean, like, what do I do for a living? Um, you know, I, I play a guitar and I sing. That's, that's one way of putting it. But there's a lot more that goes into it. And there's a lot more that goes into our songs. And, and I, I guess I, I think that I, I had to convince myself that it was a job. Um, but, you know, it, it pays my bills and I choose to take it seriously. And I, I choose to not view it as a hilarious coincidence that, you know, I, I kind of go, no. I should do this properly and I should do it as well as I can. And the other, th- look, the other thing that happened is for the first kind of 10 years of the band's career, we were just kind of falling from thing into thing and, and everything just seemed to be going great. And there wasn't, I didn't feel like I had to do that much because everything was just happening. Um, but after about 10 years, um, that started to feel a little hollow and I started personally to feel a little hollowed out and I went through a bad patch with depression and I I had a kind of a a breakdown because it just was all I'd sort of done everything that I had ever set out to do and I was kind of going well what now what next what does anything mean you know all the things I said earlier was sort of building up in my head and um, it's like, what do you do after you've done everything you ever thought you were going to do? And what does anything mean? And what, you know, and I couldn't write just nothing was, I, I just sort of hated everything that I was doing at the time. I, I termed it writer's block because that's what the culture or what people tell you that it is. So I succumbed to, you know, writer's block. Um, and I allowed myself to sort of, you know, uh, hit a wall um and blame it on that and but you know there were a whole lot of other things um that had sort of all kind of built up to that moment you know through my throughout my whole life really and then i guess after that i I sort of had to rebuild things I i had i sort of had to rebuild my my psyche and and my attitudes and my outlook and sort of uh you know reassemble something that was a a more functional and hopefully happier person. And and I managed it over a long period of time. And wh- one big factor of that was that my approach to music um, is that it is work and it is a job and there's no such thing as writer's block. There's this thing of like you just have to sit in a hammock and wait for inspiration to strike you is, is a myth. I don't think that inspiration in the uh, sort of pop culture sense is even a thing. Um, you, you work and if you work hard enough, you get to the good stuff. So from that point forward, I, I kind of dedicated myself to sitting at a desk um, each day and, and writing, um, 
whatever it was for. It didn't have to be a song, didn't have to end up being a song, but I knew that if I did enough writing, enough stuff would come. Some of it would be in songs, some of it wouldn't, most of it wouldn't. Um, but I, I, I guess I sort of imposed a bit of discipline and a bit of routine and tried to make it look like a job so that it would feel like a job and, and, and vice versa. And so that's how it's come to be my job. And it's become, you know, with every passing year, a job that I love even more. Um, and having let go of those sort of notions of inspiration or writer's block, or the, it's either one or the other, this sort of imposed you're either this or that, that it's a binary proposition. Uh, it's just been so freeing. And, um, and I, I, I really don't mind now if I write, you know, hours and hours a day for weeks on end and, I, and none of it's any good. Uh, and that's most of what happens uh, is I write and write and write and most of it is crap and I burn my notebooks because I don't ever want anyone to see them. But the act of writing every day uh, is what makes it a job for me and it still pays the bills. <laughs> so Okay, so firstly, you literally burn your notebooks? Yes. Um, like just in a fire at home or is it some sort of ceremony? Do you like, you know, go outside? Is it like, let yeah, me, I want to know more about the it, process it, of burning them. It usually necessitates a camping trip. Um, just I, I don't have access to that much fire in the inner, inner city uh, suburbs of Melbourne. <laughs> I don't think the neighbours would like it. But um, uh, yeah, it usually involves a, a camping trip uh, where I can sort of safely... Uh, yeah, do it uh, far away from people. But um, that has been trickier in recent years uh, with children. So um, the paper shredder has come into play as well. <laughs> but I, I do I do get a lot of satisfaction out of destroying it. Um, yeah. It's funny because I, and it's the thing that my partner mocks me for endlessly is I like to like once I've used an idea or if the idea is not going to be used in my notebooks, you'll find them and they're all like completely scribbled out. <laughs> so instead of burning them, like I've just scribbled them to the point that no one could ever find what idea was underneath them. Yeah, exactly. It's that, I don't know. Do you find that, um, you, do you do that? Um, is it purely just that you don't want anyone to see it because you thought it was subpar uh, or is, do you think there's an element, though, that you don't want to uh, be tempted back to it? Like, you, you need to get rid of it so you can keep moving forward? It's much more the second one than the first one. I don't imagine a world where anybody cares about my rejected ideas. <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I'm grateful enough they care about some of the ones that I didn't reject. <laughs> and a lot of people don't even care about those ones. So I don't think there's anyone really going, we've got to find what genius is leaving in his office. So, no, it's definitely the anchor of an old idea and sometimes an old idea can be a great thing you know that idea that you have but just had rolling around in your head for five years ten years and never been out of crack but you eventually you know have the maturity or the intelligence or you're just in a different place in your life and suddenly you're like i can approach this now i understand you know a bunch of things about this i didn't understand a decade ago and now i can so yeah. i don't find those ideas anchors but there are other ideas half ideas past ideas one of my big things in COVID was my show that I was doing at the start of the year. So my last shows were in uh, Adelaide in March yep. and it was a pretty new show. There was a bunch of, you know, like a lot of that material was pretty fresh. 
And about midway through this year, and it was the best thing that happened to me in COVID, I threw it all away. Right. Because up until that point, I was hanging on to it thinking, oh, well, maybe I could retweak this and it'll still be yeah. fine and fresh and interesting when we come out of this. Maybe in 2021, they'd still be interested in me talking about Scott Morrison being in Hawaii for bushfires. Like yeah. <laughs> The minute that I decided that this was just gone, yeah, it didn't matter that I'd put all that work into it. It didn't matter that it was good material. I just needed to say goodbye to it and yeah. say, this is done. Because I knew that coming into this new world, this post-COVID world, that just those ideas wouldn't feel right to me anymore. That yeah. I would be a different person and the world would be different and I just didn't feel like they would fit anymore. Absolutely. But I think it's also really important, though, that you have that faith in yourself that you are going to continue to have good ideas and you are going to continue to write good stuff. You don't have to hoard things because that's taking the sort of that's being scared that's being like oh what if i don't you know what if and yeah i i you know i can think of a, a it reminds me a bit of of in something for kate we um back back when there was a such thing as b-sides mm-hmm. um we used to some of our best songs some of our favorite not best but some of our favorite songs aren't on our records they're b-sides because we may have written them you know in between albums while we were putting out singles and we might might have you know written a new song that we all really loved but rather than hoard it and hang on to it and go oh no this is good enough for an album we should keep this for an album that we're going to make in two years time we just went no no just put it out now if there's an opportunity to put it out right now and it's the the third b-side on a cd single fine just do it because you have to we had we had to believe that we were going to write better songs uh, and that this might be our favorite shiny new song right now but you know we're still going to write good songs and um so yeah i think it's that thing as well that if you yeah you, you don't want to yeah you, you you've got to always think about the, the 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 next thing and that the next thing will be better and and again it comes back to the burning notebooks thing you you have to believe that you're not going to need to go back and and need something from the past uh to help you forward you have to take the view that you know the best is the best is always ahead. So obviously a lot of the themes that you're talking about are about our nature of our existence, where we are in the universe. That's really what this podcast is actually about. I try to dress it up as, you know, other things so that people come on basically. But really the the question at the heart of what I like to talk about is what are we and why are we? Because if you do study science and you know the size and scope of the universe and you know our small place in it and yes in a historical context also you know our small space of time within that universe as well not just you know tiny in size but tiny in magnitude of time past and yet I look at what we are as human beings that you know sing and dance and love and cook and eat and build and destroy and all the various things that make us human beings and I can't help but ask that question what are we? Why are we? Why are we what we are? And as someone who I think thinks about these things a lot, please answer all my questions. 
um, yeah, okay. Well, oh, I wish I had that notebook. Um, um, I did write all this down, uh, Will, but then I burnt it. Um, yeah. um, no, uh, look, I, I don't... I don't really do the why. I kind of stopped doing that a long time ago. Um, you know, the how is is pretty amazing. Um, you know, just you know, st- star formation, and then you know, planetary formation, and and then you know, the right combination of of, uh, of chemicals mixing up in a in a warm little bubbly pool, and you know, millions of years later. There's things walking around. I mean, you know, we don't need to go into that. Um, there's a lot about the how. The why, for me, it's um, it's only a thing a human would ask. Um, and I prefer to try and think beyond that as well because, you know, the moon doesn't care why. Jupiter, the planet Jupiter, you know, the, the, the star, you know, billions of light years away isn't asking why. It's it's just there. It just is. Um, but that's why I'm not recording. I'm not interviewing them on my podcast. <laughs> They're not good chats. Like, we're, yeah. we are, isn't it something amazing about us that we are the yes. only ones who are asking why? Yes, to the best of our knowledge. Um, and look, I like, um, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, wrote in in one of his books that you know we are the eyes and the ears of the universe um, looking back at back at it uh, so that we can yeah, yeah, now and now I'm sort of uh, continuing on from Kurt Vonnegut but just that that idea that um that yeah th- to the best of our knowledge we are the only thing in the universe that as a product of the universe itself as little pieces of the universe can look back at what the universe has done uh you know in in us being here uh, what has happened and yeah we can describe it and ask and ask questions and and talk about it and and say why but to me that also just sort of eliminates the why um I don't know if that makes sense. It kind of makes sense. And I mean, I, I like the idea of... So the how is interesting to me, of course. But yeah. it, I find it hard to separate the how and the why. Because I'm constantly overwhelmed by the why. Not that I necessarily want an answer to it. But the very yearning for the why determines so much of you know human behavior it's is that big question you know in our minds why even to the point when you say you know this is my job this is what i do with my life there is actually a why implicit in that you know you've decided that your role in a society is going to be you know storytelling explaining and singing and you know crafting your craft in a way that you put values on and determine is the way that you're going to do it there's got to be you know an answer to a why question in there somewhere as well um yeah but i I guess for me it's um that that answer is just very specific to me uh as an individual within this you know uh you know humanity and you know and the universe so 
I, in deciding what my own why is about what I'm going to do with my time, um, that doesn't sort of, I'm not then trying to impose that on the, you know, the, the wider world and universe um, because it doesn't matter. And, and I guess <laughs> that's the one thing about humanity, uh, like, I don't know, I've got to figure out the right way to say this. Humanity doesn't matter. <laughs> to, <laughs> That's going on the to, poster as well. Sorry. To, to the rest of the universe, you know, it just, it doesn't. And that's why the, the why, I'm, I'm, I'm no more hung up on why humanity than I am on, you know, why black holes. Um, because they're all just things in the universe. And we are just things in the universe. Um, like literally we are just all made of atoms uh, like everything else in the universe and all of the atoms in your body that make up you were once somewhere else a part of something else and you know in a billion years they'll be a part of something else again so you, you know I, I am an accumulation of tiny little bits of the universe i wasn't here before i was here and i won't be here after i'm not here but all of the atoms in my body will be somewhere um and so it, it you know I, why I, I don't know that it matters why Ma- matter is matter matters <laughs> <laughs> So you're coming home strong with things that we can put on the tiles. It's all good. So, uh, (laughs) hey, um, I'm really interested then, though. Of course, you find that individual things matter in your own life. You know, there are things that are important to you, you know, your family and your work and, you know, all sorts of things. So where does that, you know, drive and desire for individual meaning come from? Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I hope nothing that I've said has sounded like I, you know, don't give a shit about anything because it's the complete opposite. I mean, the the fact that, you know, that the universe has, you know, the, 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 the atoms are currently in the shape of Paul Dempsey, um, the, the fact that that's the current situation for this particular period of time is, um, you know, that lends every... like. You don't want to waste that, do you? Um, so it's just everything to me is so precious and so incredible and just so amazing uh, because it's fleeting. Um, everything is fleeting, and and you know, I think time is what time itself is what lends uh, meaning to things because nothing is eternal and and nothing lasts forever. So while it's here. And while you're able to, you know, while the uh, accumulation of atoms that makes you is able to appreciate that, then you want to appreciate it as much as you possibly can. Um, so, you know, that that's what it is. It's just like looking around and just going, this is absolutely incredible and and so brief and, and fleeting. You, you talked about, um, you know, having a period of time in your life where you had 
you know, had a breakdown, you were having trouble, like you were, you know, struggling with your mental health, um, and that you, you know, had to rebuild in a different way. There's obviously so many people who this year 2020 has been incredibly difficult for when it comes to, you know, mental health. You know, people who are already having challenges, those challenges have often been completely amplified and in a context where they might not even be able to get the normal help for those things that they would be able to ordinarily what was it for you that helped you you know rebuild uh my well my my partner um uh my wife stephanie um also the bass player and something for kate for people who don't know um uh she was just there uh all the time through all of it when i was really uh in a bad way and you know just sometimes was just in a heap on the floor uh and just couldn't and you know that that was a lot of the time and you know just a a lot of just not not knowing what to do i just you know i just didn't know what to do um or how i was going to do anything and you know i was see i was getting professional help and i was um being put on and taken off medications that were none of which were working so i was having to sort of uh you know it takes a few weeks to sort of get properly onto a medication and then you have to give it some time to find out that it's making things worse and then it takes time to come off it again and to start a new thing and this was a process that went on for you know a year and a half and uh most of those well all none of those treatments worked and and most of them made things worse and um but she just she was just there the whole entire time not really knowing what to do either but not going anywhere and that um I think that just um, pulled me through and and pulled me along. That um, yeah, that that was huge. Um, so yeah, uh, and and beyond that, um, it was also just uh, I think. Um, you know these questions of of why um and and what what there was also things uh, kind of the the ideas of things being hard and things being easy and why do you do anything and I, i sort of just stopped putting uh assigning value to lots of things um and i i just started to i guess train myself to think differently you know i've read i know a bit about you know cognitive behavioral therapy i never did it um you know the the help i got was you know with a psychiatrist who was because i was being tried on these medications um so i wanted to talk to someone who was actually doing the prescribing at the same time so I, i didn't do things like cbt which are more psychology sort of area um, but in the long run, I, I guess I did sort of um, train or, or change my own sort of thought patterns. And instead of so uh, compulsively 
constantly sort of asking myself why 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 you know um why does why do i exist what's the point of anything i i just stopped doing that to myself um and started to just sort of accept you know that the why maybe isn't as important as actually just being here in the moment and um enjoying every moment um and you know that that that, that's enough um and i stopped thinking about you know like i said i was having trouble with writing through this period as well it was hard everything was hard and then i stopped thinking about whether things were easy or hard and just started asking myself more whether things were worth it or not worth it um and so that's kind of I don't know. You were asking me for a philosophy before, <laughs> you know. Maybe that's it. I I decided a while ago that it it doesn't matter if things are easy or hard. It only matters if they're worth doing or not worth doing. And if they're worth doing, then it doesn't matter how hard they are. You'll do them. You'll you'll do the hard work if it's worth doing. It's only annoying when things are hard and not worth it. That's when things just suck. Um, <laughs> but if it's hard. But you know, but it's worth it. Great. Yeah, I, that, that's. Uh, by the way, that's brilliant. I absolutely love that. I think that's an incredible way of looking at the world, and quite helpful to Just even personally, I find what you've said there quite helpful because I think when I get most stuck, you know, it does become it becomes that sort of top level. This is hard. This is not hard. Why am I doing this? Versus like most of the things that I have done in my life have been hard but worth it you know the things that i look back on fondly were hard but they were hard and worth it i like that a lot i really dig that tell me about something that makes you happy outside work what is it that just you know might surprise people that gives you peace or contentment oh look just uh you know steph and i have two kids and uh just you know hanging out with our kids um is you know i mean every parent says that it's a, it's a pretty simple uh answer but uh i i think you know more than anything they they make you just appreciate everything even more um but um i don't know um i, I i'm a sucker for a cryptic crossword um, oh, okay. You'll, uh, you'll... You know what? Actually, now on reflection, that does not surprise me at all. <laughs> like, I, I, I probably would have picked you for a cryptic crossword. Do, are you any good at them? Uh, look, I, I, um, I mean, they're all so different. And I, I kind of only do the one now. I, I used to sort of do them each day uh, in the Age newspaper. And there'd be a different one each day by a different uh, creator. Um, and they, you know, I, I, I got to be able to sort of complete, uh, complete them pretty easily. The, the only one that, uh, always is really difficult is the Dave Astle one, uh, which is on a Friday in the age. So that's actually kind of the only one I do now. Cause it usually takes me the whole week, uh, to get close to completing it. I've only actually completed his a handful of times, most of the time I could get from one Friday to the next Friday without quite getting there. But yeah, it's like if I'm not upstairs here working, if I'm not, you know, doing stuff with the family, then you'll 
usually find me like sitting in a chair with the cryptic crossword. Did you always think that you were going to be a parent? Was that something that was part of, you know, when you pictured yourself as an adult, did you imagine that you would have a family of your own? Um, yeah, I think I did. Yeah. Uh, I think I, um, I wanted to have that relationship and also for sort of somewhat selfish reasons uh because my dad uh died when i was two years old and um i this also is it's a weird thing to explain without making it all about me because it's not all about me but um having a, a son and being a father to a son uh is almost sort of giving me the inverse relationship as well of um you know getting getting to experience that that relationship fr- from the other end obviously but you sort of get to have both experiences slightly as well um so uh, yeah i think i i i did always i you know i, I never wanted to be 65 years old and and not have uh not not be able to talk to my son or daughter you know i think that's how i imagined it i didn't necessarily want to have babies i didn't necessarily want to push a stroller or do that stuff but i i think i was interested in um having an adult relationship with with a son or daughter um if that makes sense but obviously we're you know we've got a long way to go before that happens and it happens to be a really fun time getting there as well i'm not just waiting around for them to be adults so i can talk to them i did wonder you know being like losing your dad so young i mean too you know i can't imagine that you have a lot of memories of him uh not really no i i have this one memory of being uh in my cot and him sort of standing in my bedroom door and I, cause I remember his shadow uh, on the wall, but that's it. No, I, nothing sort of clear. I mean, yes. Losing your dad early. What was your, you know, sort of male role model when, when you came to be a parent yourself? Was there, you know, somebody that you looked to and said, I want to be that sort of parent? Um, yeah. Um, and it was my my brother-in-law uh mal uh so after my dad died mum did remarry a couple of times um and uh i didn't have great relationships with those two stepfathers um but um i have three older sisters and and my older sister jill uh is uh 12 years older than me so she actually married quite young and, and she married Mal when I was like nine years old. Um, so, you know, he, he and, and their marriage and their, their relationship was, was sort of the model of, of uh, stability um, when I was growing up, really. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I'd say in, in terms of um, people that I would consider male role models, uh, yeah, Mal would have basically been the only one. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it about Mal? Like, if you were going to talk about, you know, something specifically about, you know, uh, why you do look 
up to him? What was it about him that worked? Um, he was uh, reliable and trustworthy and just a total straight shooter. And But also just, you know, very intelligent, very capable, just always able to do things, you know, whether it's making things or building things or figuring things out or, or you know, um, you know, just, just I guess, uh, you know, a, a model of, of like stability and, and focus and, and hard work um, and just, you know, uh, a straight shooter. Um, and, but, you know, reliable as well because, you know, my, um, my home life, you know, with mum's sort of uh, marriages after my dad, you know, it wasn't harmonious. Um, it wasn't, yeah, I, I uh, it wasn't a great time. And I would often go, you know, when I was old enough to sort of get on a train, I, I would go and spend the weekends with Jill and Mal. And, and um, it was just like, wow, this is, um, you know, this this marriage and this relationship is um you know uh, good (laughs) 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 i I think i think that the just the use of that simple word has probably spoken volumes about uh yeah probably said a whole lot of things i would have been awkward saying exactly it says it says everything (laughs) at once you don't need to say anything more than that. Sometimes the simple one-syllable, four-letter word is uh, more effective <laughs> than the four-syllable word. So I understand that. What What are you? do you think you're best at as being a parent then? Talk about yourself. What is it that you think you're good at? Um, I, I, I try to make sure that my, you know, kids feel that they are heard um, and really, you know, not just listened to, but heard. Um, and, you know, I, when, they're, when they're talking to me, I'll get down on my knees uh, so I can, so they can look in, me in the eye um, and they're not talking up to a six foot six person. Um, just little things like that, I think, that, that make them feel like uh, that you are really there and really present and really hearing what they're saying and understanding what they're saying and, and you're, you're with them, you know. Um, I think that's, you know, probably just the, the crux of it. What do you think that your best quality is as a friend? Um, I've, I think I'm... Uh, well, I like to think... I'm a generous person um, and, you know, I, I'll stop what I'm doing. If a friend asks me to do something, then it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'll stop whatever I'm doing to, to help them. Um, and, and, I, and I won't just do what they're asking me to do. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do all the peripheral things around it as well and make sure it's really, really done, you know. Um, yeah, um, that's probably. And when probably it, when are you at your worst? When you look at yourself and you think this is me at my worst, when is that? Um, I I can be uh, 
short-tempered, I think. Um, and I, I, you know, I think it comes from that, uh, <laughs> you know, all that time that I do spend thinking about uh, a lot of different stuff uh, that um, I, I probably sometimes don't always snap out of that to... Um, you know, to, to what's actually going on around me. And, and um, I guess sometimes it can be like sort of, I, I, I feel like yanked out of, a, out of a thought process or something and, um, and I can be snappy and I, I don't like that about myself. We covered this a little bit with writer's block and your changed attitude to writer's block, but I'm interested in the idea of, is there something that you used to firmly believe to be true that you no longer believe to be true? Uh yeah, a lot, a lot of things, and this actually probably goes to. <laughs> okay, here's an answer for you. I don't, I don't believe anything. Um, I, I sort of got off the belief train, and it started pretty full on because I was raised in a really strong Roman Catholic uh, family. I was an altar boy. I did the whole thing, and I really, really believed. Like as a kid. Um, and as a young adolescent, you know, I didn't just go to church. Like I really, really believed hard. Um, and I think part of that as well is because people were always telling me uh, how strong my dad's belief was. Um, so I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, be like him. And and, um, and then, you know, over time uh, when I began to actually sort of really think about things and, and really uh, question things and, and uh, I stopped believing, you know, and, and sort of religion was, um, I, I left religion behind. Um, I just didn't, I didn't need to, uh, I just didn't need that hypothesis anymore um, that there is a creator and all this. It just didn't, it just all seems like such a unnecessary supposition. Um, and so then it's like, okay, well, what do you believe? And, you, you know, when you, as a younger person, I was sort of like casting around for, well, what's going to replace this belief? You've got to believe something, right? You know? Mm. Um, and I don't know. I don't know that you do. What What do I need to believe? I What, what I feel... Um, is that I, I'm really happy with the best information that's available at the time. Um, and there are really, really smart people out there um, theorizing and conducting experiments and doing rigorous research that is then reviewed by all their other uh, expert peers and it can be tested repeatedly. And you're asked and invited to, please go ahead, do the tests yourself, see if you can find faults in it. And we do find faults in things, and that's what improves the knowledge and moves everything forward. So to me, it's like there's the best information that's available at the time, and it doesn't require your belief. It just asks that you accept it. And if you don't accept it, uh, then devise a better experiment, a better theory, put that to the test, find faults with the old stuff. That's how science works. It wants you to find holes in the theories. It wants you to find the 
where the little problems are so that it can be moved forward and improved upon so i don't know do i i don't know if i need to believe anything and before people turn around and say oh but you believe in science no there's no such thing as believing in science it doesn't require your belief it's just the best information that's available at the time and that's enough for me yeah, it's yes. It, belief is often used around climate change in that debate, isn't it? That you believe in climate change, where he's like, "No, I just accept," you know, the scientific research that says that the climate is changing and in the ways exactly. that it's changing. Yeah. Um, okay, That's so it. if somebody wants to read a, read a book, like give us a give us a book that you recommend as somebody who reads a lot, like about you know the nature of you know us as human beings from a scientific point of view what's something that you really you know loved that you'd like to recommend to people um i read a book recently uh that i i really loved uh, it's called the universe in your hand and it's by uh christoph galfard and uh yes i believe that's correct um and look, it's just a really good overview of uh, what we currently know. And like I say, what, what the current sort of best information available is about, you know, everything from the origins of the universe to, you know, the Higgs boson. Uh, but, but, in, but in telling that story, it's also very much about human beings. And why, why do we want to know these things? Why are these things important? Um, and uh, it's really beautifully written and uh, it's not like dense or uh, dry. Um, it's, it's wonderful. And I read books like that over and over and over again. I, I've, you know, I've read dozens of books that are all about that same thing, about you know, from the beginning to now and what happened in between. Um, but they're all, you know, like I said, some of them are just really dry or really dense. Or whatever. But this, this was the best book of its kind that I've read since the very first one I read, which was Carl Sagan's Cosmos, which, you know, I read when I was 17. And that's kind of what really opened all these doors uh, of, of me sort of becoming interested in this stuff. Uh, what's the best bit of advice that you've ever got from somebody? Oh, I feel terrible that I can't immediately think of a piece of advice someone gave me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, moderation in all things, including moderation. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. I um, am interested in the fact that you're very churchy because I was very churchy growing up as well. In fact, everybody finds it hilarious that the first job that I ever <laughs> told people that I wanted was to be a priest. And I'm like, well, it's not that... To be honest, I'm still sermonizing. I'm still wearing black. I still like standing in front of people and asking them for money at the end of my performance. So some of the key features are still there. And that window behind you as well is a bit churchy. Well, that's actually true. My office it has a couple of uh, very churchy stained glass windows as well. So, yes. Um, do you... We've answered this question and it's a bit of an obvious answer, but I ask this question all the time anyway. So I'm just going to ask it as standard, which is... What do you think happens when we die? Well, I think that you know all the um, all the people we leave behind uh, carry on our memory, um, and and that's a really wonderful, beautiful part of it to think about. 
because what happens to you um, is you're not there anymore. Um, and I, I don't believe that, you know, that there's someplace else that you go uh, or that your consciousness continues somehow. Um, I, again, I don't believe it because I don't need to believe it because there's no information that suggests it. Um, but, uh, you know, in a, from a really uh, sort of dry point of view as well, I think, you know, that eventually all of the atoms that made up your body, um, they go elsewhere. Um, obviously not together, not in a group, but very, very slowly over time, they will end up far, far, far flung places. And I think that is extremely beautiful as well. And I, I'm, I'm totally uh, fine with that. I think that's, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a real, there's a beauty in that for me that goes far beyond the idea that you go to some big party with everyone you ever knew. Uh, you know, that's like a that uh, that's like a kid's version of the afterlife to me. Like I think the the adult version for me is, um, you know, that it essentially goes back to how it was before you were here. Okay, two 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 final questions that we're done. We get the internet's getting a little sketchy. That's not how we get wrapped up on this podcast. <laughs> otherwise, I otherwise I just talk to you all day. We started quite early in the morning. We could have just gone all day, but the internet's gone in and out over the last few questions. So I'll ask the final two. One is, I have a magic wand, and I can give you any skill in the world. You don't have to learn how to do it. You just immediately have this skill and you can interpret that skill in whatever way you would like is there just something you would love to be able to do uh yes i would love to be able to um to do mathematics to the point that i could you know read the equations of the standard model of particle physics and truly understand how that what that says and how it flows um, I, I'd love to be able to understand maths to that that degree. You'd be amazed how often that's the answer. No, uh, <laughs> normally flying or singing really well, but sure, that's also a good answer. <laughs> I didn't know flying was an option. I thought it had to. I thought, yeah, well, yeah, flying would be pretty good. Uh, final question uh, I have a time machine you can go forward in time you can go back in time it is one round trip you can go to a point in your own life you can go to a point in history here's what you don't need to do you don't need to go back and assassinate baby Hitler or any of those sort of things so I'm going to send a qualified person back to do those things so um, you just get to indulge <laughs> a round trip and a time machine for whatever it is you want to use it for what would you use it for wow um See, this to me just opens up too many other questions. I mean, can you be a human when dinosaurs existed? Does it have to make like chronological historical sense? Um, no, you can go to any point in history or in the future if you're willing to roll the dice on, you know, that when you get out of the time machine, the whole place isn't on fire. But you can have a crack at going back to the dinosaurs if you want. Uh, yeah, no, look, um, um, I would love to be able to spend, you know, uh, an, an evening with my dad. Mate, this has been um, really lovely. I really appreciate you doing this uh, for me today. Um, Thanks, Will. Uh, 
something for Kate to have a new album and uh, it is now all out. It is all available. You can listen to the It is out there. Yes, it's uh, finally out there. So, yeah. Th- thank you very much, Will. It's been a pleasure. If you spent that day with your dad, what do you, what do you think you would do? What would you want to talk about? Would you want him to play, pl- play him some of your music? What questions would you like to ask? What do you think? What What do you think you would want to do? Um, oh, laugh. Just you know. Um, apparently he was a very funny guy. So um, you know, I'd I'd like to think we would just make each other laugh a lot. Thank you very much for doing this, mate. I I, I sincerely appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Will. Unreal. Mm-hmm.